0: Join us as we gather around the hedge, where we dig into technology, business, and culture with the finest minds in computer networking.
1: Well, hello, Tom.
2: Hello, Russ.
1: Oh, you have a banana today.
2: Not just a banana, a banana that's sitting on a Chromebook that has Debian Linux installed on it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you wanted a conversation piece, so there you go.
1: <laughs> I am not entirely certain. Like, did you do get apt inst banana to get that banana to appear there? Is that
2: is that what you did? Did you well, install no. the banana package? That is, I should, that was, that's a good idea. I had to tear open the case and remove the little right protect screw. And then I had to set the banana on top of the keyboard, but it all works now. So there you go. Okay. (laughs) I'm not sure about all of
0: this. I don't know if Russ is going to ask for a conversation piece again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And yes, we have Yvonne with us today because it is the monthly round table, which is awesome. Yay. So, how are you, Yvonne?
0: I'm great. So I don't know what will be happening when uh, this airs, but as of right now, brick and shingles and a big pile of sand showed up over where they're building the house. So oh, that's it's, great. Uh, nice. where that's nice. there will be there will be pictures on Twitter as soon as I get over there and get some of them. That is totally awesome. I'm so excited.
2: For you. Yeah, exactly. Yep. I think you were saying the other day this might be like one of the most famous she sheds ever, like like in the internet, right?
0: Yeah. Well, so like I'm I'm shocked at how many people only know me by the she shed, and 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 we are we're building a house now, and the the, the she shed will move, right? Like there's I had somebody offer to buy it the other day when we move, and I'm like, Psh, what are you talking about? I love my she shed.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've built a couple of houses in my time. Now this house that I'm in right now we didn't build, but. I have ripped out all the floors in the entire house, all of them. You,
0: you get attached.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've ripped out all the floors, replaced all the floors in the entire house. We actually ripped out the entire kitchen, and amazingly enough, I actually hung all the cabinets myself and did all the plumbing and electrici- electrical to get all the cabinets back in. And so...
0: We are supporting our local economy with those things. Oh, ah, okay, there you
1: go, there you go. Well, <laughs> you were for Google, I'm not that rich. <laughs>
0: Oh, stop it.
1: <laughs> Jeez. Oh, you wealthy IT people, unlike me.
0: Yeah. Oh, geez. I'm. I'm not even going to start listing the books that somebody has published. <laughs>
1: oh, well. Yeah, but, you know, books don't make you a lot of money anymore because nobody reads. As I have unfortunately oh. discovered, no one reads. I mean, I've literally sent people... 200-word articles, and said, this is really cool. You should read it. And I talked to them a month later, and they're like, I can't read 200 words. Like, that was a really long (laughs) article you sent. 200 words. Like, I've read, like, 20 books this year. (laughs) You're fussing about a 200-word article. Like, what is going on (laughs) with this? Why do people not read? So today,
2: Tom wants to talk about hedgehogs. I do not want to talk about hedgehogs.
0: Oh, you want to talk about
2: Sonic.
0: <laughs> he wants to talk about the precursor to hedgehog.
2: Sonic. <laughs> the precursor <laughs> to hedgehog. That's what it's called now. Nice. Nice.
1: <laughs> or is it a wave? Um,
2: is it a wave? A
1: sonic wave. Is
2: that what it is? Oh yeah. Maybe. Yeah. It's a wave of something. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so I, I was just thinking I've spent, you know, a couple of years now living in this world, developing Sonic, playing Sonic and, I thought it would be interesting to I don't know, just share my thoughts since I'm a host of the podcast, I'm allowed to do that. So, especially on
1: roundtable shows.
2: Yes, yes. So, I just just some things I've learned over the last couple of years doing this. I don't I don't know that I necessarily have lots of comments about Sonic, but maybe I do. We'll find out. But the one of the things that has really the complexity of working in highly distributed open source projects has really come home for me. So, if you don't know, Sonic is a collection of of many different open source projects. Last I looked, it was more than fifty Git submodules, and so that's each an individual repo maintained by individual people with their own business reasons for doing what they're doing. Their and, own maintainers and, and their
1: own commit process and their own CI CD if they have CI CD at all.
2: Right, right. It is the it, it is the. The epitome i feel like of like an open source it is an open source NAS and it is it is there's many people contributing to it there are people contributing to it I'm pretty sure that don't even know they're contributing to Sonic just by the nature of, of how it's built and it it has been really interesting because you, you read about open source and I feel like there's one perspective of open source that is I need a web server apt install Apache 2 done I consume open source and I participate in the open source community. There's that style but then there's a whole other thing where you're building something out of a bunch of components, and some of the things that I think are interesting about it, I, you know, you you get a lot of things for quote free. But one of the things that I've shifted in my understanding of is what what does open source cost you, especially in these large complex projects? What does it cost you? Um, you know, you spend a lot of time integrating, you spend a lot of time testing, a lot more time testing, and it shifts the cost from you know had you bought commercial software from, from someone to this. It shifts the cost, but ultimately, I still think it's worth it. I still think it's a great way to deploy things. So, anyway, yeah, that's been that's been one of my just as I've been reflecting on it the last couple of weeks, one of the things that I've learned. What do you you guys think? So I think it's interesting that you
1: still think the trade off is worth it, because I know a lot of people who've gone into this and said it's not. And the other thing is, is I keep reading articles that open source WAN and open source ran radio area networks are the future of networking. I hear this all the time. I just saw two of the, two articles on it last week, I think two or three. And I think that's an, an, an interesting perspective, but I think that people say it without thinking or understanding what deploying open source actually means. And mm-hmm. again, part of it is, oh, I can, yep. I can app install Apache and bada bing, I have a web server. I can app install a DNS server, bind tools, and I have a DNS server. But those are very simple projects compared to something like sonic and part of that is because part of that by the way is is the fault of the sonic community just to be honest they could write something that was clean and and didn't have all these dependencies but they chose not to because it seems easier not to have the dependency or to have the dependency dependencies when you start out and but it now almost this is also a lesson about open source projects and dependencies I know we had this at nfr routing we were relying on libyang we rely on libyang right now to some degree or another in the libyang community which is a completely different community and doesn't follow our rules or we don't have anything to do with them other than consuming their product as a part of fr routing they changed the libyang three and squashed now it was good for them because they got all these new features they re-architected things It's a Libyang three is a much better open source project now because of what they've done, but the interaction with fr routing was less than ideal, and and those kinds of interactions, nobody's testing those, nobody's doing anything with those, in the open source world when you combine multiple large complex projects, and I think that's that's a lot of the danger that you're talking about or that you're running into, or parts of the problem you're running into, Tom.
0: There there are some interesting themes that I hear coming up. One is like building any one thing um, by itself is relatively simple. Deploying a web server, right? Running a host of web servers at scale is significantly more complex. For for example, I'm I'm part of a a, a nonprofit organization that is contracting out somebody to build and host a pretty important um web portal for them. And I see somebody on Twitter going, you know, well, I'll build your website for free. I won't charge you one and a half million dollars. And I'm like, you know, show me a person who has no idea what it takes to run a complex system without showing me a person who has no idea what it is to run a complex system. Right. Because you've got to secure it. You've got to manage it. You've got to monitor it. You've got to keep it running. You've got to deal with traffic management. You've got to deal with abuse. You've got to, you know, like it's. It's never just the thing. So I think it is easy to have a little bit of experience with a thing and think, well, this isn't that hard. Everything at scale is hard. You know, why are smaller countries able to um, run their health care systems more efficiently? They don't have the same scale problem, right? Like scale makes everything hard. And I think it's easy for us to hand wave that away and and smaller
1: um, companies smaller countries also have less diversity quite often, just by the nature of right. their history, so it's much right. easier to build a health system around a less diverse population base. It's not you know there's no right or wrong to that. that's just the fact on the ground yep, and you know when you live in a country this is like people who come to the u s and say, "Well, I think you ought to have universal broadband everywhere, like yeah.
0: Have you driven across <laughs> yeah. the western half of the country? Yeah. yeah, and and the same is true with our technology systems, right? The more used it is, the more boundary cases that you have, the more complexities that you run into, the more interaction surfaces that you have, the more complexity you've got. And the other theme that that I heard was. Um, I lost it, it was there. It'll come back around. I'll interrupt you guys That's when fine. I remember good. it, because good. it's, it's good, it just disappeared.
2: Your comment about scale made me think of something. Often when we hear scale, we think of, oh, very large web application with uh, you know thousands of front-end nodes and lots of public cloud regions, and that is one way to define scale. Another way to define scale is the number of interaction surfaces within a given system. You have very high scale problems to deal with in, especially like a, n- a network operating system that has to interface with so many different components. That has to interface with hardware. Web servers get to act like hardware doesn't even exist, but you don't get that. You don't get that in a, in an NOS You don't have that luxury. And so, like every place where the system touches another component, that's adding right to the scale. Yeah, it's one switch, but let me tell you, this is not this is not apt-get install Apache two uh, because of that. Yeah. Well
0: and and it and it came okay, back. Go ahead. I remember now. Perfect. The the other idea, the other theme that I heard is is this, you know, like about complexity and we get complexity wrong cuz complexity is easy. It's simplicity that's hard. Right? Like compl- making a, a complex system is infinitely easier than making one that's simple that still functions the way you need it to. And I think that's also the challenge um, in open source, I'm not saying it's it's bad or it should be a deterrent. It's just something you need to be aware of, is that when you have lots of disparate people or organizations working on a solution, it's going to be way harder to get the agreement that you need across all of those different constituents to make something simple. Because, yeah. again, interaction surfaces and moving pieces. Yeah. So I, that's, that's another interesting lens through which to view yeah. this conversation. And,
1: and often we tend to think of complexity as something we do we, we, we do we do it sometimes just because we like it honestly because we think it's simple up front. Again, you know I'm building a piece of an application to do network monitoring and I decide I'm going to pull all of VI in so I'll have a user interface. Like don't do that. That's like crazy. like that's just insane. And you're just building deten- dependencies that don't need to be there for no apparent reason. You know, there are other text editors out there that are simpler or just write your own. Just, just for somebody else's and cut it down to what you really need or something. But the other thing is, you know, complexity should really only be deployed to solve really hard problems. Scale is a hard problem. We don't often think of it that way, but there are other hard problems you have to be able to solve. For instance, if you're on a trading floor, well, you suddenly discover that you, get, you can't give one company access to the servers where trades are taking place faster than another company so you have to add the complexity of making all the optical lines the same length or you have to do something right um in greenland i remember that we talked about how they got there's like six or eight points where the fiber optics come up the west coast of greenland and we talked about those cables and they told me well see it's a little bit different laying cable in greenland fibers through the ocean, ocean underwater cable, because if you do what you do in New York City and you drag it off the beach, there are these things called icebergs that float down and hit the the beaches and hit all the access points and destroy the cables. So what you actually have to do is you have to bore through rock and do a 90 degree turn and get the cable out into the ocean lower than the, the deepest iceberg you're anticipating. Well, that's a lot of complexity, but you know. It's a hard problem.
0: Right. Yes. And and I'm not saying that all complexity can be avoided, yeah. but I am saying that typically the first time you solve a problem, there's more complexity that you need. Yeah, yeah of I, I, I was in a high school geometry, right? And I combined a couple of equations and I was like, oh, this is interesting. I've not seen this before. Maybe I should show this to my teacher. This is a, a new thing that I've not seen. And then I started simplifying and I simplified and I simplified and I simplified. And I think I ended up with something like A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Right. And so (laughs) we can often be really impressed with ourselves that we've done something new and novel. But then when we start to simplify, we're like, oh, people have been here before, you know?
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah people have been here before is I, I I've had that feeling a few times in the last couple of years. Um, and, you know, cause a lot of, a lot of, well, most of what's in Sonic has already been built by, I would say all of it has already been built by commercial mass vendors. And so you get to a point where you're like, okay, after all this effort, all of this work, finally, uh, IGMP works correctly. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, but then again, you know, again, Sonic started with this idea and by the way, we're doing a show just on Sonic at some point in the future. I don't know when, it, when it's coming out, but I know it's scheduled, so I, don't, I haven't looked at the schedule. But when they, started so- when they started Sonic, they thought putting everything in user space would be simpler, not doing anything in the kernel. Well, at the time, that seemed like a good decision. But nowadays, you look at how hard it is to make IGMP work. How hard is it to get is to is running on this thing? Because I now have layer two packets that are straight either type that I have to send in user space down to the NIC, And the kernel just took care of that for me. I didn't have to think about it, right? But now I have to think about it. And like, yeah, it's not. It, it's, it's much like trying to, have you ever been to one of the museums where they have the exhibit where you get on a bicycle? And somehow or another, it uses a technique to force you to think about moving your legs to ride the bicycle, and, like, you can't ride the stinking thing. Like.
2: <laughs> I have not had this experience, but it sounds a little to <laughs> It is, because, like,
1: you know, my body just does that stuff. I have muscle memory that just does that stuff. Right. And now when I have to consciously right. think about doing that stuff, well, it's not so simple as I thought it was. That's actually a lot harder than I thought it was. <laughs>
2: There's there's some actually some cognitive benefits to reinventing things wheels that have already been reinvented though. Um, I feel like me and my team understand um, what's really going on in the machine far better than we did uh, when we started, and and I think that leads to better system designs. I think you can if you think about it a little bit, you can take all those lessons that have already been learned in the past, and you can use them to design good networks and good systems. And you know other if you don't do that, if you don't understand it at a basic level, you know close to the Metal, then you just don't get the benefit of of knowing how that stuff works, and it, everything's just an abstraction. You don't know, yeah, you know, what's underneath, yeah. and so that's that's been a really and, positive. Way, I feel and like, and this
1: goes back to technical debt, right? What's our definition of technical debt? It's like anything that's old.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, no, that's that's, kind of, that's yeah. not what it means. That's,
0: well, and there's no way to avoid yeah. it, right? I yeah. mean, it's it's going to happen. It's just doing it with your eyes open. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. So I was thinking back to like the, the the beginnings of this conversation, and and the is is open source worth it? Um, and I think that's a very like personal business question about you and your business. I think when I see some organizations struggling to categorize their problems as novel or not novel, a lot of organizations believe that the problems that they have are very novel and unique to them when they really aren't, right? They may not look exactly the same or present exactly the same way, but they follow a similar pattern to other problems that have very well-known, well-understood solutions that can be you know, tweaked and applied. In other cases, you really do have a novel problem. And I think looking at it through that framework can help you determine like, is this something where we can go buy something you know, off the shelf or whether we need to build it ourselves um, because, yes, open source is not free. It costs headcount and it costs sweat equity and it costs investment in the community. But then you get a solution that is what you need, assuming that your organization is healthy enough to build the thing that you need. But in other cases, it's not differentiated. So it's not worth it. Right. And, and, and smart organizations will will do that calculus and ask them the Yeah, I was
1: going say, it really doesn't matter if somebody has solved it before or not. That's actually not even the question anyone needs to ask. Is this a common problem? Who cares? I mean, you know, we see this so much in the real world. UPS could have said in the 1960s, well, delivery trucks have already been a solved problem. We'll just use what everybody else uses. But they didn't, right? Um, UPS and FedEx could have said in more recent times, well, GPSs are an invented thing. We don't need to invent our own. We can just use Google Maps or Bing Maps or whatever it is, Way Way uh, Ways or whatever. It doesn't matter. We can just use any of those things because that doesn't matter. But instead, they went and invented their own thing, and in so doing, learned something new about the problem that was perhaps unique to their their situation. I don't know, but nonetheless, that helped that got them ahead on the business front. So I always think saying. Has the problem been solved before? Is this a common problem? That's a useful metric for trying to find possible solutions. But I think that we sometimes overplay that and rather than solving it on our own, and which, which then creates the technical debt, by the way. If we use somebody else's solution, that does create technical debt because now I don't understand how the solution works fully. That's,
0: and there's a continuum of that, right? Like yeah. I've worked with customers who built a thing For example, a messaging bus. Like they built their own messaging bus before messaging buses were a thing. And so they'd have their own, you know, handcrafted messaging bus. Well, now there are those exist in the marketplace that are more feature rich and more functional than what they have, than what they built. And so at some point you have to decide, Hmm. do we keep maintaining this thing or do we transition? So it's not always... Either yeah. or, oh, yeah. and, and and the answer is not always the same. It's is there differentiated business value for us doing this thing? If if there is, yes, go do it. Um, if there's not, you know, think about if that's where you want to put your energy and resources. Because that's the other thing is that all of those projects take energy and resources, and you got to figure out if you if you have them and if that's where you want to put them.
2: Yeah, yeah, I. I, I think that um, asking is this a solved problem? I think is a, the first step in the journey. Um, if you skip that and you say no, we just build everything. We're not going to even ask. Then you're actually asking for inefficiency down the road. Even even if even if choosing to build instead of buy, even if that was the choice and that was the logical thing, the fact that you didn't fully examine the problem space to look for you know this uh, sort of common common you know commonality common DNA with whatever problems, I, I think you end up. When you get to the solution space, you end up making mistakes and you end up costing yourself time. So I think you have to start with what you're saying, Yvonne. I think it is really important to say, is this a solved problem? But it's also really important to free yourself from the shackles of, because there is a problem, uh, because it's a solved problem, that solution is the right one for me. We, We jump to that pretty quickly. But if we say, yes, it's a solved problem... How is it solved? It actually it makes it very clear what you need to do um, should you decide to solve it yourself. Yeah. and it makes it like, oh, well, the solved problem is this, and I've used it in these scenarios, but it sucked because of this and this. We should do this ourselves only if we can do not that and that. That sucked last time, yeah. and um, it and, and it helps with the business reasoning. Okay, which now which which types of people do we which minds do we put on the project on the project to build this? Because that is probably more critical then selecting which vendor, like if you're looking at the two build versus buy, selecting a vendor is pretty critical, but if you're gonna build something, selecting which mind goes on that problem yeah. is more important, I would say, than selecting a vendor on the other side of the equation.
1: But you, get, but you get- 100%. Yeah, but you gotta think, too, that there's a certain set of solutions for every problem, right? It's almost a fixed set. Like there's there's not there's not one way to solve a problem, but okay you know, just take the whole idea of how do I distribute routing information, reachability information? There's really only a few ways. I mean, honestly. And there's and you can go right. through the whole list and go, well, I can invent new ways, but they always, as Yvonne said before, you simplify them and they come down to the same two or three ways. That's just the way things work. So unless you think you can do something that is somehow finer tuning or something like that, that's one thing. Like I've heard people say, well, we should just use a standard distributed database instead of instead of distributing about having a special distributed database for BGP or OSPF or ISIS. I was like, no, 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 no. That's not quite the way it works. Those solutions are heavily tuned to get you to a certain place. Yes, they they from the outside they solve the same problem. Sure. But how long do you want your network to not be converged? Because your standard distributed database system. Takes four times as long as ISIS or OSPF does to distribute the data through the network. Yet from the outside, objectively, it's the same thing. But go ahead. Sorry. Abby. And,
0: and, well, no, you, you bring up an interesting thought. I had a friend share a quote with me, I don't know, a couple of months ago from Churchill. And, and, and the idea, he said, first we build our buildings, or first we make our buildings, and then our buildings make us. Right. And it's that way with our technology systems too. Like, You know, we made BGP and now BGP constrains us. (laughs) And I think like, yes, there are only certain ways like fundamentally, philosophically to solve problems. At the same time, we can get trapped inside of the constructs we know Mm -hmm. and not be able to see the world differently. And I think that is also another thing that we need to take into account. And that's why... We have a startup ecosystem, yeah. right That's why you have companies that are doing new and different things all the yeah. time yeah. because and 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 the constraints that existed when those systems were built, however many years ago may be different today, right silicon's faster um, con- uh, you know connectivity is 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 more available, right they're, they're, so the constraints change. and so sometimes it's our systems need to change mm-hmm. as well.
1: Well, I, I used to know this English professor who told me that their students, her students would always complain that people say that, well, they read these great pieces of literature and they find all these grammatical mistakes in them. And they're like, yeah, but you have to understand something. She said, that person knows English gam- grammar 20 million times better than you do and knows when to break the rules to get a point across. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's the same thing. If we actually had internalized knowledge of like how a network really works like down at the theoretical level it's much much safer to break the rules when you know that than it is to go oh i'm just going to guess and go try this no don't guess (laughs) you know
0: what i hear russ is don't go change your eigrpk value yes yes
1: that's that's true that's true (laughs) Oh, I used to have people all the time say, well, I'm just going to increase my stuck-in-active timers because that solves the problem. Like, no, actually, it doesn't solve the problem. The stuck-in-active timer is simply you telling the network how long you're willing to allow the network to remain unconverged.
2: <laughs> That's all it is. <laughs> yeah.
1: so, so if you're cool <laughs> with your network being unconverged for five minutes and dropping packets and sending stuff to the wrong place, Cool, set your SIA timer to five minutes. Have fun with that.
2: <laughs> and it might be it might be valid. It might, it might be it valid might be. for your it case. maybe. And the, the last point I was sort of want to make on this is that you know, we talk about problem spaces and solution spaces. But the whole idea of open source is let someone else solve some part of it. So another thing I think we have to think about is we take the solution space, we carve it up into into sections, and we say what is most valuable for me to solve and what's for for someone else to solve. And then, you know, we glue it together and then we that that's a whole other set of trade-offs too. Um, you know, having to integrate all that and test it all Mm -hmm. and all that. Um, but it gives us it gives us some flexibility and and in Mm -hmm. some cases some velocity. Although I start I question the velocity uh, argument (laughs) the longer I live. But I think that. Yeah, I think it allows us to to solve things in novel ways that that meet business business objectives. So it's it's pretty interesting. well in contra
1: the vendors, right? Because the vendors want to solve all your problems in their way, so that you have to mm-hmm. buy their gear. That's basically what it comes down to a lot of times for 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 profit. For profit. Yes, right. that's exactly right. Right, exactly right. And so there is some fundamental disconnect there. Like it used to be when I first got into networking, you would buy box A to do job A and box B to do job B so you are actually building like putting Lego blocks together and actually building a network and I don't think that's really true anymore now we buy wholesale solutions For by and large we just buy the whole I'm going to buy a data center fabric from vendor X and it's going to the whole thing is going to be run by that vendor
2: we, we buy vendors and then vendors own us yeah. it's great <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's that's a, that's another good way of putting it. Yeah, it is. So, yeah, I think this is all very fascinating and interesting because I think it really applies to the world we live in and how we make our decisions about this stuff.
0: I I do have a question that I, I love Tom's perspective on before we close, and that is let's, let's say that you, you've looked at an open source project like Sonic and you think that it's interesting and you'd like to get involved or – or you have some ideas? How does how does one like dip their toe into that world and start to get familiar and and contribute? Do you have any thoughts there? Yeah, I think for Sonic, a lot of the um, standard
2: open source answers apply. Um, there's, you know, they have a community meeting that they do every week. They have the mailing time. lists and stuff, which are which are some of the uh, that's a that long thing? time. time. At the wrong, Yeah, yeah. It, it coincides with our favorite uh, routing project. Um, overlaps with it. But th- that's a decent way to see kind of what kind of debate's going on in the community. And then there's some other meetings that you kind of have to, like there's an issue triage meeting. If you really want your changes in, you have to go there and you have to kind of argue for it there. It's not just submit a PR and hopefully it goes in. It doesn't work like that in the Sonic community. And then, I mean, and then after that, there's you know there's other ways there's a, there's a couple of companies that are that are trying to support Sonic in a commercial way. You know we'll talk about one of them later in another show I think. But um, and then those people will you know be happy to help you out. The, the, the other thing that's I'm kind, of, kind of interesting about Sonic is the ODMs are pretty interested in uh, it succeeding. And so you go to a company that makes the hardware that you will end up deploying Sonic on. And if they don't have their own distribution of Sonic, they do have a lot of knowledge and, and oftentimes they have their own distribution. And so you, you're going to have to work with those people anyway if you decide to go this path. And so talking to them and, um, you know, they'll want you to use their distribution and you can use it to kind of get off the ground and it could be all very interesting. But yeah, those are yeah. The, kind of the entry points that I've seen.
1: So I'll give you an FR routing answer, which is we need lots of help with documentation. And we're a pretty open community about committing stuff to documentation. So if you want to dip your toe in, you don't want to get serious about coding yet, just go read the FRR docs and don't tell people that they're wrong. Go do PRs. Actually pull the code and change the PR. It's all, you know, even the documentation is all changeable and it's all handled through PRs. And, you know, get start getting known by the community as somebody who's participating in that way. Something I've been meaning
0: to do. More. Wait, you mean be helpful? be helpful? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Now it's funny, as Tom was describing the the process, I'm thinking, you know, that sounds a lot like the day job, you know, just <laughs> without a centralized boss. I mean, it it's still work, right? Um, <laughs> it's interesting.
1: Yeah, it is. It's still work. And, you know, you also have to think now I'm going to be totally blatantly honestly here, honest for a minute. You have to think about what you think you're going to get out of participating in open source too, right? There are lots of places in the networking industry where you can participate in things. Open source is one of them. The IETF, network operators groups, NOGs, I don't know, doing training, doing teaching, getting involved in local community college to teach networking classes. There's so many things that you could do. The networking industry is such a hungry industry for having you know lots of places where you can get plugged in and do stuff. And so my only, my only caveat to getting deeply involved in open source is just think about what the return is on that in the long term. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to do, I'm just saying, you know, maybe if you're not the best coder in the world, maybe you are better off going and teaching high school network engineering or, I don't know, you know, just think through what your skills are and think through like where you would make sense to fit. Because there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done
0: sure and, and it, but if you're interested in writing code and you have a background in networking and you want to start building a portfolio yeah. of work open
1: source great pleasure. it's
0: it's a, it's a, it's a great way to do yeah. that right yeah. and then Definitely. you have um and and assuming you um you behave like an adult and you contribute and you make friends and you get to know people it, it can open opportunities for you in ways that you know s- sending out resumes and complaining on twitter um aren't Aren't going to yeah, so. Yeah. Um, and, and don't yeah,
1: expect everybody you, else in the yeah. community to yeah. act like an adult. By the way, be an adult
0: as well. Yeah, well, <laughs> well in a lot of, a- of communities, <laughs> behaving as an adult is differentiating in and of itself. But uh, that's a conversation for a different day.
2: <laughs> well, one, one last thing I'll say about it is, if you have code and you have something working, that trumps everything else. It trumps documentation. It trumps complaining in the community meetings. It can trumps it trumps feature requests that always just makes me laugh. People are like, I want this feature in Sonic. Like, okay, then write it. Like no, one's going to go do your laundry for you. Like write the feature if you want it. And if you have that, if you come with code and in the Sonic community's case, if you have a reviewer that has also agreed to review your code, I mean, that's, that's the fastest way to get, to get something done is, is actually do the work.
0: Shock, Shocking.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's the way it is with most communities. I think anymore. Yeah. So, I don't know. Is that it for this topic? Do we want to wrap up now?
2: I think I'm good. You guys are. Okay. You've had enough.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I enjoyed it. Good,
1: good. Okay, start with you, Yvonne. How do people get in touch with you or follow you or whatever?
0: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Sharp Network or on LinkedIn, Yvonne Sharp. Um, and on Twitter, I'll still be sharing lots of pictures of the house building process. So, happy to, happy to have you live vicariously. <laughs> Tell me how we're doing it wrong. <laughs> Either one.
1: And Tom, just just banana at Chromebook, is that?
0: <laughs> I
2: should take a picture of it. We can put it on the show notes for the page. <laughs> Since I'm not making a blog, I'll just uh, go ahead and do that. <laughs> <laughs> but you can find me on Twitter and LinkedIn. Just search for Tom Evans. Awesome.
1: I'm Russ White. You can always find me here at Rule Tech on the hedge and wherever else. I'm pretty easy to find. If you have ideas for the show, please let me know or let somebody know because we could use ideas. And if you want to come on and be a guest, even if it's to argue with Tom, Yvonne, and I over something you don't agree with, that's awesome. Please let Let's us do it. Great job. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. All right, guys. And uh, Glenn, thank you for listening to this episode of The Hedge. And we will catch you next time.
0: Subscribe to The Hedge on your favorite podcast service or
1: follow along at rule11.tech.